If you want to read ahead for the next few weeks of preaching and sermons, stay in Mark chapter 14. We're going to do a deep dive into Mark 14 and uh, chart a bit of a different preaching path over the next few weeks. Uh, we uh, give shout-outs to our fellow minister from First Baptist Ottawa, John Perkins. If you're watching, John, uh, we're taking your lead during this preaching season in Lent. And so, Mark 14 begins, and we find ourselves nestled in the small-town vibes of Bethany, several miles away from the big city of Jerusalem. But of course, these small-town vibes are not without some storm clouds looming overhead. And Mark draws our attention to the danger that's lurking and emerging. Because unbeknownst to the inner circle of Jesus, the religious leaders are meeting in the big city and looking for a way to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him, we read. Not during the festival, though, they surmise that could cause a riot. The scenery quickly changes, and we're at the rural home of Simon the leper. A leper's house. Strange, but Mark wants to remind us that Jesus spends a lot of time with the untouchables, with the outcasts, with the overlooked and the avoided. And for a man who has a bullseye on the back of his robe, Jesus is seemingly at peace, reclining at a table. And we can imagine that it's a crowded table with Jesus' disciples there and probably 20 extra people, much of them the riffraff of the community. They're partaking of an afternoon meal. They laugh and they jest and they drink and they eat and then suddenly, crack! A hand-carved marble vase is snapped. Maybe it's the equivalent of being in a restaurant and one of the servers drops a plate and everyone gasps. "Ah!" The long neck of this alabaster vase has been snapped and all the eyes in the room focus on the woman. She's holding a heart-shaped jar. And the smell of spikenard ointment plumes through the air. It's a musky, piney fragrance. Any essential oils people in the room who love spikenard? I see that hand. Spikenard fans? Uh, Sue's going to help me pass out a couple of plates that have been anointed with spikenard so you can get a bit of the vibe. This is... um, Frankincense with orange, citrus, and spikenard. So the spikenard has lost some of its real piney, musky intensity, but for you spikenard fans out there, you'll you'll get it. And I want to be sensitive to the scents in the choir loft. So choir, do you want to smell this? It's, 
It's a beautiful smell. And um, when you think about the context of this story with a bunch of mostly men in the room who probably smell, shall we say, ripe, <laughs> sweaty, um, <laughs> robed, headbanded men. <laughs> and so this smell would have probably permeated the room. And all eyes are on the woman as she moves towards the reclining Jesus. And then she stands before Jesus and she gently and tenderly pours this syrupy ointment on top of his head and, and massages it into his beard and the side of his face and even the contours of his neck and his shoulders. It's this beautiful, intimate moment that, of course, is interrupted with a sneer and a snort or a harumph. What the Hades is going on here? One of Jesus' inner circle is not impressed. He points at the woman. He wags his finger with a look of scorn. Why are you wasting this ointment? This ointment is worth $33,000. We could have given it to the poor and provided some meals and built a shelter or two. Are you out of your mind? And then can we imagine Jesus tearing a strip off of someone? (laughs) Jesus, Jesus, so gentle and mild, sometimes gets really mad. He looks at his friend and says, leave her alone. Back off. Don't trouble her. The poor, you will always have the poor with you, but you will not always have me. She has done a good thing. She has anointed my body for its burial. What? The disciples are stunned, the onlookers are confused, and the woman falls to her knees and worships. She cries tears of joy and tears of sorrow. And Jesus finishes his rebuke. He says, truly, I tell you, wherever the good news is proclaimed in all the whole world, what she has done will be told in remembrance of her. And it's true. 2,000 years later, we're here telling her story. We proclaim the goodness of her act, the good news of her humble posture, this lavish, extravagant devotion, and we tell this story in remembrance of her. Does that sound like a familiar phrase, in remembrance of her? Anyone? Anyone? Do we see it anywhere? Members of you. Whoa! Okay. 
this woman turns out to be one of the most admirable disciples in all the Bible. And we're not going to necessarily put her name on our communion table, but there's something about what she's doing that we really ought to pay attention to. Because this in remembrance of her storyline or her aspiration or her legacy is completely in step with the in remembrance of me, Jesus. And in these early days of Lent, we can recognize that the story of the unnamed woman pouring out what matters most in the presence of Jesus is a prophetic act. It's a forth-telling act that models the heart and the journey of Jesus. This Jesus who we follow, who pours out his life and his energies for the salvation and goodness of the world. And in the weeks ahead, as we read chapter 14, it won't be a journey without harumphs and sneers and snorts and glances of scorn. And we don't want to be too hard on the disciples because they're only doing the best they can do with what they've got. But might we pause in these early days of Lent and even this morning and ask ourselves, what's lurking in our hearts these days? Is it disdain and the wagging finger? Or is it devotion and us falling to our knees in the presence of Jesus? It's probably a muddling of both. But maybe these Lenten days can give us time and space to unclutter and maybe root out some of the contempt that lurks in our hearts. What might be our Lenten posture as we live out of this portion of the gospel story? And it might fly in the face of maybe a Lenten pattern of putting our best thing on a shelf. What if our Lenten call is to pull off that best thing, that thing that matters most to us, and pour it out in Jesus' name? Think about the possibilities. Maybe it's pouring out our time in Jesus' name. Maybe it's pouring out some resources or some of our riches in Jesus' name. Maybe it's pouring out a creative solution in Jesus' name. Or maybe it's finding the best bottle of wine that we have in our house and pouring it out in the season of Lent. Yes, I will come over and drink that with you in the name of Jesus. Or maybe it's pouring out a meal or our favorite food and sharing that with someone in Jesus' name. Maybe you have something that instantly comes to mind that you're saying, yes, that's it. I'm going to pour that out in Jesus' name in the season of Lent. Or maybe it will come to you in the days ahead. But I invite you to pause and give yourself time and space to ponder what matters most in your life 
And might it be a possession or an action or an intention that you can pour out in Jesus' name? And we can think about that corporately. We have church council meeting on Tuesday. We'll think about that too. How might the Spirit be calling us to pour out in Jesus' name? My hint to us all is it probably looks a lot like love. Last week when Jeremy was preaching, he invited us to keep on holding 1 Corinthians 13 in our hearts where we talk of faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. It made me think of the hymn, More Love to Thee. And as I reflected on that hymn this past week and read some stories about that hymn, I learned it was written by Elizabeth Prentice, a woman who lived in the early 1800s who wrote poetry and prose and lots of it, but she only wrote one hymn, More Love to Thee. And if there's a one-hit wonder hymn list for Elizabeth Prentice, she totally nailed it. And might this hymn, and I'll just close with a few phrases from it, But might this hymn inspire us as we think about what it looks like for us to pour out what matters most. That that pouring out will begin in a place of love. More love to thee, more love to thee. Hear thou the prayer I make on bended knee. This is my earnest plea, more love, O Christ, to thee. More love to thee. And why don't we say it together? More love to thee.